Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? Howdy and welcome along to episode 72 of the Howie Games Part A. Hope you're having a great day or night wherever you're listening. Now, for some time at Howie Games Central, which is a pretty small operation, we've been thinking about what's involved in trying to secure a few more international guests. And let me tell you, we've found out there is a lot involved. So if anyone out there has got a number for Tiger or LeBron, let me know. However, this week's guest is a true international operator. Very happy to have him on. A six-time major winner, including three Wimbledon singles crowns, the first at the age of 17, where he went into the famous tournament unseated. Boris Becker if you don't mind, is this week's guest. Boris comes to us courtesy of Fox Sports Australia and specifically a fine man by the name of Matt Weiss, otherwise known as The Dog. How Weesey swung an hour with Boris, who was dominating the Fox coverage at the time, I'm still not sure, but well done, Dog. Mystery, what is to be? So much more than meets the eye. Listen to me, time is your key. You will find out by and by. Now... Before we get going, I thought I'd try and take you behind the scenes a little bit on what happens next. It's an interesting exercise trying to interview someone you've never met before when you're on opposite sides of the globe. Boris was at Wimbledon, I was at Fox Sports in Melbourne, and we could only see each other by a very scratchy Skype connection, which makes it pretty difficult to try and build any type of rapport in a short period of time. Hmm, what could go wrong? Hey Boris, I'm Howie. Thank you so much. You've frozen on my Skype, but I am in Australia, I am in Melbourne, yeah. That's an evening then, right? Yeah, it's half past seven at night. What time is it where you are? Okay, okay. It's uh, 10.30. Boris, I'm just going to check one thing. Our Skype's okay. frozen, and once I've got that sorted out, we're gonna, we'll are gonna do I this. I can hear you well, but the, the thing is frozen, yeah. Won't be a sec. Uh, now I can see it. No, that's perfect. No, that's perfect. You can do it if you try, try, try. If you try, try, try. Beauty. So we're all set to go. Perfect. When technically things go up the creek, as they do. Let me just... I'm just having a couple of trouble with my levels here, Boris. I'll just get this sorted out. There seems to be a bit of an issue with the line. Yeah. Can you just count for me, Boris, if you don't mind? Yeah. One, two, three. Eins, zwei, drei. One, two, three. Vier, fünf, sechs. One, two, one, two. Perfect. Right, here we go. Okay, this time we're ready to go. Let me know on Markout03 whether you reckon we should try and feature more international guests or stick more local. Time now, though, for the legend, Boris Becker. Enjoy. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on, children, try with me We want to reach Mount Zion uh, Boris Becker from Wimbledon, uh, good morning to you in London and welcome to the Howie Games. Thank you for having me, yes. I'm tremendously excited to have you, especially in a place that has become synonymous with you in so many ways, I guess. I have been here, yeah, uh, for many, many years. I've done everything you can do as a, as a player, as a man, as a coach, as a commentator. Yeah, so I'm very familiar with Wimbledon. Do you still get goosebumps when you walk into a place like Wimbledon? I know you just live around the corner, don't you? Yeah, I, I, I get a special feeling, you know, goosebumps, you know, maybe on the final when I, when I you know, commentate or when there's a, a special match. Uh, but it's a, it's a special two weeks of the year for me. It's uh, very intense. Uh, everybody, you know, knows me or think they know me. <laughs> everybody wants a piece of me. I have my responsibilities. I have a job to do. 
and uh, it's it's wonderful. But you know, on Sunday night on the 14th of July. I have a cold beer. <laughs> and I think you probably deserve one. Boris, if you can indulge yeah. me on the show, can you take me back and tell me a little bit about where you grew up and how you first got a connection with the great game of tennis? Well, I uh, grew up in uh, West Germany. Uh, then it was called West Germany in a small town called Lyman. And I first picked up a tennis racket. I was three, four years old. Um, it was cut in two because, uh, you know, the record was bigger than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was introduced to the sport by my parents, by my sister, I have a four-year-old sister. And, uh, yeah, tennis was just one of many sports I was allowed to do. And again, it's a, it's a privilege, you know, to be able to, you know, play tennis at such an early age. And, and I'm aware of that now, probably wasn't aware of it then. But I was playing tennis, playing football, you know, swimming, skiing, all, all the things that that uh, we were allowed to do. And, and so that's how I got into the sports and yeah, were you an, so on. Were you a natural tennis player or were you a standout from the start or not? I, I don't know anymore. I mean, I, I, was, I was good with, with a ball, you know, a small ball, a big ball, football, a basketball. Um, and I had a good hand-eye coordination, I think. And I think that stood out. Uh, I, was, uh, I had quite a temper when I was young. I still have it now <laughs> if you push me uh, and and so uh, but I was always fascinated with sports you know with with playing uh, with, you know with somebody uh, and uh, yeah I, I um, think I got more involved in tennis by the age of what seven eight nine started playing junior tournaments uh, the, you know the, the city I was playing uh, noticed and then you know the, the federation the country uh, and then everything went very quick. And were you always going to be a tennis player? What type of student were you? Was there a, was there a backup plan for Boris Becker as far as a career in your parents' eyes or in your eyes? You know, you must remember we're talking about what in early '80s and professional sports uh, wasn't that uh, um, you know high high on the on the menu. <laughs> uh, you know, so of course I was in school, and of course my parents wanted me to you know finish school. I was pretty good in school. Uh, uh, my my uh, my father, you know, he had, had a good job. He, uh, my, my mother as well. You know, as I said, my sister is older. You know, she she finished her her studies and, and you know, had had a, had a degree. And so, you know, when when you know, I was fourteen, fifteen, I started to play better. There were more people coming around the house wanting me to play more tennis. More agents came to the house who wanted to sign me up. And then I did, did this um, decision at 16 to, to postpone um, my, my, uh, my school for two years, uh, leave, leave of absence, and uh, just to, to try my luck at tennis. And you know, I was already the best in the country, uh, not for the juniors, but for the men at 16. And I already was traveling around the world, you know, playing tennis, uh, and that's... You know, that's really when it happened. So what's it like for a young man and his family? How old were you or how old would you have been, Boris, when the first agent knocked on the door and said, this is what I can do for you? It must be extraordinary as a young man. Yeah, how old was I? 14, 15? <laughs> you know, I was already standing. I mean, it's similar to now. You know, we, we have this phenomenon here called uh, Coco Goff. You know, when she's 15 and she's already signed uh, to you know, a, a big agency from Federer. Uh, you know, back in the day, you know, it was similar. You know, professional players were signed up early on as teenagers. Um, the biggest agency then in sports was probably IMG. 
uh, but I, I was I was um, signed up uh, by a guy called John Tiriak. He was a Romanian, uh, and he had a couple of, of good players under his wing already, the likes of Nastasi and Vilas and, and Henri Leconte and others. So I was part of a tennis group that, that started uh, traveling together. But obviously, I was by far the youngest, but that was sort of the, the group I, I stuck with. When was the first time you arrived at Wimbledon? Do you recall the first time you walked in through the famous gates? I must remember that. Uh, I think it was in 1983. Must have been 15. Uh, and I was playing the junior event. That uh, uh, was the first time I came here. Um, I played in the very first round a guy from Sweden called Stefan Edberg, which I ended up playing <laughs> a couple of Wimbledon finals uh, a few yes. years later. But that was the first time I... I played a professional match here, well, a junior match. And did it have an immediate impact on you, or was Wimbledon at that stage, Boris, just another tennis court? No, Wimbledon was important in Germany, and I'll you know, give you a couple of reasons for it, because it was the only uh, international tennis tournament that was televised. You know, we didn't really see the French Open, we didn't see the Aussie Open, we didn't see the US Open, so as a young boy, it's one of the reasons I, I, I was a big fan of Bjorn Borg, that every every you know the end of June, early July, the only tennis tournament that, that we could see back home in Lyman was Wimbledon, and uh, you know the Borg uh, won it five times, and then then you know others won it. So that's why my fascination in Wimbledon um, started there. Take me because I'd love to speak with you for three hours, but I don't have the pleasure of your time for three hours. So we need to move through Good. a little bit. Um, Take okay. me, I thought you might say that. Take me to, to 1985 um, and the Wimbledon tournament of 1985. What, what expectations did you arrive with as a 17-year-old? Well, maybe I must start one year earlier because uh, then ultimately in 1984, uh, um, when I played the qualifying of the main event, Wimbledon in Roehampton, that was my first professional tournament. You know, I was then a professional at 16. And, and I went through the qualifying, I won three matches. I played my very first best of five match in the last round of qualifying. Don't know who I played anymore. Then I went to the main draw, and then I, I won the first round against an American in the second round. And in the third round, I, um, I broke my ankle against Bill Scanlon on court number two. Uh, uh, they, they had to move me off with a, with a, with a stretcher. So, you know, that was my first... Um, experience in the main draw at Wimbledon. Uh, success story coming from the qualifying reaching the third round. I mean, it would have been a, a, a big story even now. Um, mm. But then I was 16. You know, I was the probably the youngest ever to, to win a round at Wimbledon or to, to qualify. I mean, I've broken a couple of records here. And then, yeah. you know, obviously taken off with, 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 with a stretcher, going back to Germany, having surgery on my ankle. Uh, uh, and I had strong um, doubts, or, or more importantly, my, my parents, whether that was a, a right choice of, of profession. If you, you know, if you if you're injured, and, and you know what happens with any athlete if he gets injured, uh, and, and that really started my career. More of Boris in a moment. Next up on the Howie Games on Thursday, August one. The day the ashes starts, who better to feature than the man who ended the Aussie stranglehold on the famous urn back in 2005 than their captain at the time, Michael Vaughan, OBE. Brisbane, first test. They talked about the crowd, they'll be on you, they'll be spitting on you. I thought, oh, that sounds nice. I said, what about the cricketers? I said, well, I said, that's presume I'll be opening. I've done all right, you're not going to change that. He goes, yeah, you'll be opening. I said, all right, Glenn McGrath. 
and the faces and their eyes just kind of peeled out. I was like, all right, who's going to speak about Glenn McGrath? I wanted to see you. Go, you put one piece on a, on a line, the other just hits it. New ball will be swinging away 85 miles an hour. Every now and again, he nips one back. Top of off stump, there'll be four slips, a gully, probably short leg, Justin Lange. He'll be giving you plenty. Um, and by the way, when he bowls his bouncer, it'll be right on the money and it'll be quick. I went, all right. I said, uh, if I manage to survive that spell, <laughs> it sounds like I won't. Uh, Warren comes on, what happens? Another senior guy goes, oh, Jesus, God. 15 different deliveries. Hayden comes in at silly point, Ricky on the drive, Steve Wars spitting on you, Gilly behind the stumps giving you plenty. That flipper thing that he bowls, it skids off the pitch about 150 miles an hour, traps you on the crease. And I remember looking and thinking, what the f*** are we getting on this plane for? <laughs> I don't quite get that. That's Michael Vaughan on Thursday, August the 1st. Now let's get back to Boris. So you arrive back the next year. Now we've got to 1985, so you've got some matches under your belt. You're fighting fit again. So 1985, what expectations does Boris Becker arrive with? The rest of the world probably doesn't have a great deal of expectations as a 17-year-old, but what were your expectations? Well, I have to paint the picture a little bit better because within those 12 months, I did recover from ankle injury. I started professional. I started to play better. I won a lot of matches. And actually leading up to Wimbledon 1985, I won the the warm-up event at Queens. Queens. yep. Three match points. Yeah! And this. And the 17-year-old Boris Becker won that final at Queens only eight days ago, and he served notice there and then that he was going to be a very dangerous man here on grass at Wimbledon. In fact, he's unseeded, so he's one of what they call the dangerous floaters in the draw. Um... Uh, and, and, and they are already, you know, beaten very accomplished player on grass. You know, the likes of Pat Cash and Johan Creek uh, uh, in the in the quarterfinal, semifinal. And uh, uh, you know, Creek made this this famous quote in the press conference. Even then, we had media, and, and you know, there was press conferences after. Uh, he said, "If if this guy plays anything like it, he's going to win Wimbledon." Of course, everybody in the room laughed because nobody, you know, thought that you know, it was maybe just a comment from a, a sore loser. And, and he was just just um, you know, downplaying his own poor performance by by uh, you know saying something like that. So uh, when the ranking came out the Monday before Wimbledon, I was already number twenty in the world. So I, I was somebody already. And and with the seedings nowadays with thirty two, I would have been seated now. Uh, if if uh, back in the day they only seated sixteen players. So again, for tennis insider, it yeah it was a surprise, but they knew that I could play. It's just for, for you know, the outside world, uh, uh, it was a surprise because, yes, I was the youngest and I was unseated and everything, but I, w- I already had performances in, in tennis that, that uh, spoke for itself. So somehow uh, you make your way to the final to play Kevin Curran. 1985, so what's that now? Gee, Boris, that's well, 34, 34 years, years ago, ago, which is quite, yeah. Yeah, it's quite extraordinary how time goes. What, what are your memories of your first Wimbledon final? Was it pandemonium around you or could you separate yourself from that at that point and just get out on the court? Well, I think that's the beauty of, of youth is that you, you don't think really uh, too far ahead. You very much live in the moment. Uh, uh, you know, it was, uh, we can't imagine it now, but there was no internet, there were no cell phones, there were no, you know, uh, yes, we, you know, we had the Times in London and, and the Telegraph and, and probably even the Mail back then. But it wasn't. It was a different type of, you know, hype. You were not, um, 
you know, you didn't have to have the, um, you know, the long press conference after. Yes, you had the press, but it was it was a different media area as well. It, 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 there weren't that many, you know, huge headlines. So I was I was under the bubble a little bit, and I, I was thinking, you know, match to match. Of course, I was tired. I had long, long two weeks. I won six matches. I would a bit hurt and tired, but. Um, I, I was I was very much living in the moment. So when I when I played Kevin, and you know, obviously, he had an unbelievable tournament. He's beaten John McEnroe, the defending champion, in the quarterfinal. He's beaten uh, Jimmy Connors in the semifinal. All you know, top five players. So Kevin really was the favorite, and nobody expected much from me. But surely I had different plans. And when we started <laughs> the match, I, I, I felt that that he was a bit more nervous than I was, and I was able to take the first set, and from then on, I always felt that I had a chance of winning, and yes, it was a four setter, it was close, but I was very much living living in the moment and not thinking you know, too far ahead. I mean, that happens when you're 17. So you're serving for the Wimbledon Championship. Can you remember, I know it was over 30 years ago, but can you remember, are you just trying to clear your mind at that stage? Do you remember, as you set for what would be the final point, what... A young Boris Becker was thinking, or how he was going to complete. Well, it's thirty-four years ago, so so you know I, I, I don't <laughs> remember everything now. Um, but um, of course, I remember. You know, I was I was you know nervous. I, I felt the sensation. You know, the the you, you you hear the crowd. You know, everybody was in, in shock that I'm about to serve for the match, and and you know all, all these um, uh, things have have been broken, and. And yeah, I remember that my arm was getting heavy. I started with a double fault, and I just it was hoping that somehow I have to find my first serve, and somehow I have to win these four points. And then you really take it step by step. You take it point by point. And then when it's uh, uh, it's called a championship point here, uh, an umpire calls championship point, and then uh, the, the crowd gets even louder, and then you feel it even more. And of course, I served another double fault. Double fault. So, so then at 43, I was really, you know, praying and hoping that uh, somehow I have to find my first serve to win it, and that's that's what happened. Championship point. Well, and how perfect! He wins the title again with the weapon that has stood him in such wonderful state throughout this championship. And that thunderbolt service. And what a tremendous performance, this boy of 17. And the moment you win Wimbledon, uh, uh, reading your book, which congratulations on your book, The Player, it's an extraordinary read. I've read it over the last couple of days. I really, really enjoyed it. You described how your life changes as a young man when you do something like that, especially in Germany, the first German to win Wimbledon, the youngest ever winner. Can you try and provide us a snapshot, Boris, for those that will never experience it, how your life changed in the next three, four months and, and what your life became as opposed to how it was? Difficult to really put it into uh, words. Um, you know, of course, after the match, you know, the president of Germany was there. And then, you know, my parents congratulated me and my sister. And then you, you've taken, you know, from, from one interview to another interview and, you, you know, English wasn't that good yet and spoke a little bit in German. And then, you know, the night it was the champion's dinner. And then, uh, you know, you... you uh, I wasn't planning on, on participating in the Champions Dinner, so you know I had no tuxedo, I had no suit, or nothing. So my, my mother, my mother provided that. So all <laughs> this is then new, and, and, and as a 17-year-old, you can imagine you're uncomfortable, 
then there was the the famous the famous dance with the, with the ladies' champion, um, and and you know all of this all of a sudden happens and it really takes away from 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 tennis and and you know I can't remember I was 17 I haven't done these things so it was very awkward. Uh, uh, then the next morning I went to a couple of, of uh, morning shows here in London, and then I uh, um, uh, I was um, thinking back now I was um, uh, my manager then manager, mentor, coach was John Tyriak and then he took me aside and he tried to explain to me a little bit um, uh, what's going to happen now. Nor did he really know because it really happened before but he was a lot older than me and more experienced and he dealt with with good tennis players before so he was giving me an insight of what might happen uh, uh, and then the next week it was it was crazy and I went to Germany and then they, they organized a big parade for me uh, Lyman only has 10,000 people, so 50,000 people showed up and, you know, I was <laughs> driven around town and, 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 you know, waving to everybody and, and, you know, celebrating with them. But again, uncomfortable because at 17, you know, you don't really want to be in, in front of all these people and, and you know, and it's, so um, uh, uh, the next few weeks were difficult because, you know, from, from uh, uh, nobody or somebody that was young and played tennis, it became just this an overnight sensation. Uh, when one of, all of a sudden one of the most famous guys in the world and you have to deal with it on the, on the everyday level. Um, I started feeling better when I was able to you know, play tennis again and I went to America, I started playing the, the US hardcore season and that's when, when life got a bit more normal but every, every tournament I played or every Grand Slam after was always measured with the Wimbledon one which wasn't fair because obviously nobody can win all the time. And so when I ended up losing uh, at the next major at the US Open uh, earlier than expected. Uh, uh, you know, I was heavily criticized, and you know, there was a, uh, 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 I had my famous f 15 minutes at Wimbledon, and, and I'm never going to win another one, and so forth. And then you, you have your own doubts about you know, what happened in, in June, July. Uh, but then in the fall of 1985, it just calmed down a little bit, and, and all the, um, the headlines disappeared, and I you know, became, became a tennis player. That's, that's what I wanted to do. It was a crazy summer, yeah. So, 86, I can only imagine the build-up then. Um, and you beat Ivan Lendl in straight sets, something he always wanted to win. What did that victory mean to you? Because, as you said, after 85, people could say, oh, well, he's a flash in a plan. Whether you use the word fluke, I don't know how you can fluke winning Wimbledon, but it, it's a one-off. One, you've done it two years in a row. Do people then have to sit up and really take notice of what you're doing on the court? Well, it was quite a long year. Between 85 to 86, because as I said before, every tournament was measured against, and I was playing well. I did win a tournament or two, which is a, a good achievement in itself. But I didn't win every week, and I didn't win another major. Of course, you know, coming coming into the tournament, um, I was seeded four. I mean, it was four in the world. It's pretty pretty high. Um, but obviously, um, it was never done at 18 either. You know, at 18, I would have been <laughs> the youngest as well. So for me to defend it was probably a bigger achievement than winning it the first time. Because literally all the odds were against me, and 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 it was difficult because you know obviously uh, the pressure was there. I knew what I had done the year before, and I really had to um, to dig deep and just just take it one match at a time. And once I got to the second week, and I started playing well, and I I, I hardly uh, lost a set. I think uh, winning time maybe just just one set I lost um, against an Australian. I remember I called Paul McNamee. I lost the only set in the tournament, and. And then it's, um, uh, you know, playing Ivan in the final, uh, uh, and, and he was the number one player in the world. 
I think after that match, it was clear, most importantly for me, but to everybody else, that I'm, I'm here for good. I'm, I'm on a good day. I can be anybody, especially on grass. And I think then my professional career really started because then the next couple of years I started you know, winning on a consistent level. It wasn't that big of a story anymore. Yes, in, in tennis circles, but, but you know, uh, uh, I, I, I was accepted as, a, as one of the best tennis players. Yes, certainly one of the youngest. But in those days, we had a lot of teenagers playing well. You know, with Vilanda winning the French at 17, uh, with Michael Chang winning at Young. So uh, it was a big story, uh, but the whole tennis scene was different then than it's now. Boris, a, a lot of listeners to this show will know I have two young children that I often explain about the guests and then they try and formulate a question. So you, if you will indulge me, you get the question from my son, whose name is Mac. He's only seven, Boris, but he's been watching you on YouTube this morning. His nickname, for want of a better reason, I can't explain to you why, is Big Penguin. It's a name he chose himself. So are you prepared to face the question from the seven? Big Penguin is your son's... Yeah, that's his nickname. Big Penguin is your son's nickname. That's right. Okay. Are you prepared to face the question from the Big Penguin? All right. Here we go. Hi, Boris Becker, Big Penguin here. I made up my own nickname, Big Penguin, and I love it. Daddy told me your nickname is Boom Boom. That's cool. Did you make it up or did someone else? He has a very cute voice. No, um, I was not... Um, uh, uh, I didn't, didn't put, give myself the nickname Boom Boom. It was <laughs> created by an Indian uh, tennis player uh, called Vichy Am- ah. Amritash because I was, in those days, mid-80s, I was playing a lot with him. And he, he, his claim to fame is that he had about a five-minute sequence in a James Bond movie back in the day with <laughs> Roger Moore. And uh, he's very, very um, uh, interesting personality, you know, one of the best Indian tennis players of all time. But he, he was a lot older. And, and you know, he said, when we played double, he said he'd never, never played with anybody and hit the ball so hard, regardless of the score. And so he said, well, from now on, I call you Boom Boom uh, because that's, that's who you are. So that's when that name was created. I will pass that on to the big penguin. He'll be very, very happy with that. Yeah. That's the end of Boris Becker Part A. Stick around and listen to Part B where Boris talks about the tough times. Listener.